Superchargers, headlights, and more with over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Boxing with Chris Mannix is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there is a contest for every fan. FanDuel. More ways to win. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of Boxing with Chris Mannix, part of the Volume Sports Podcast Network. Got a great show for you this week. Keith Eidek, senior writer from BoxingScene.com. He is back. We talk about a very dark weekend ahead in boxing. Got a Vander Holyfield at 58 years old being allowed to participate in a sanctioned fight in Florida. We get into everything about that. Oscar Valdez, 130-pound champion. He recently tested positive for a banned substance, but not only was he allowed to keep his title, the fight against longtime rival Robeson Consecao, that is going to go on as planned on Friday. So a lot to get into with Keith Eidek. I apologize in advance, by the way, for the audio with Keith Eidek. Had a minor glitch when it came to my audio, so you're only getting kind of the natural audio and not the audio that generally comes from this mic. Later, Ken Burns, the noted documentarian, he has a brand new documentary on Muhammad Ali that will begin airing on PBS on September 19th. I talked to Ken about why he chose a subject in Ali who has been covered pretty thoroughly over the years. Ken takes me through his process and what he hopes to convey to the viewers about Muhammad Ali. As always, Best way to support the podcast, subscribe, rate, review, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. All right, on to the show. <sighs> All right, Keith. Here we go. Keith Eidick is here, BoxingScene.com. There are times, Keith, I'm excited to talk to you about big fights, and there'll be 
those times will be ahead of us, I'm sure. This is not one of those times. We are entering one of, I think, and I've been looking for the right adjective to describe this weekend, depressing, immoral, uh, dangerous boxing weekends of recent memory. You've got 58-year-old Evander Holyfield getting back in the ring in a sanctioned boxing match in Florida. He's going to fight Vitor Belfort, filling in for Oscar De La Hoya. The day before, you're going to have Oscar Valdez, a charismatic, talented, 130-pound champion, defending his title against Ropes and Concesao. And he'll do it just a week or so after popping positive for a banned substance and being allowed to fight by the local Arizona commission and being allowed to keep his title by the WBC. So before we get into specifics, am I overstating this or is this coming weekend about as bad as it gets? Chris, I don't know that you could overstate it, to be honest with you. Um, What we have on our hands here Friday and Saturday are successive shit shows that should not be happening. I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, does anyone care about fighter safety anymore other than media members and I would assume a lot of fans, maybe less fans than I suspect, but does anyone care about fighter safety? There's a 58-year-old person who replaced a 48-year-old person who should not have been fighting either. Uh, and he's and he's fighting, I mean, he he's 58, he hasn't fought in 10 years. He's boxing someone who has boxed one time in his entire life, yet is 14 years older than him and much closer to the back end of his physical prime, obviously, than Holyfield. Um, what's going on in Arizona is a disgrace that Oscar Valdez should not be fighting Friday night. There's no two ways about it. Um, the fight should have been postponed. Robson Concesao is moving forward with this for the reasons that most people would move forward with it because he's getting paid a career high amount of money and probably more to move forward with the fight. So uh, money is a great cleanser in many businesses. Chris boxing is no exception, Um, but it's unfortunate that, um, you know, uh, honestly, Chris, a a 58 year old guy who hasn't fought in 10 years and has taken entirely too many punches to the head fighting on Saturday night might not be the most objectionable thing about the weekend. It's remarkable, isn't it, that, you know, under normal circumstances, that would be a uh, front frontline story, at least in the boxing world. But it's being rivaled by what's happening a day before. I do want to start with Holyfield. He's the biggest name in this group. Evander, of course, multi-time heavyweight champion, one of the all-time greats in the boxing circle. The 90s, the 2000s, at least the early 2000s, he was a fixture at the top of the heavyweight division. Um, He has been off, as you said, since 2011, retiring, but he was tabbed just a week or so ago to replace Oscar De La Hoya, who uh, tested positive, he says, for uh, COVID-19. Holyfield is 58. He will be 59 in just about a month. Uh, And while I'm sure that the people in Florida will say they've done their due diligence to make sure he's healthy, I don't really believe them. And even if I believed what they would be saying, all you have to do, Keith, is have a conversation with Evander Holyfield to know that he shouldn't be taking punches anymore. 
No 58-year-old should in general. But a guy that has fought the kind of wars that Evander Holyfield has fought in his career against the likes of George Foreman, uh, of Riddick Bowe, of Mike Tyson. These have been knockdown, drag-out fights that Holyfield has been in. A career that spanned roughly three decades. He shouldn't be back in the ring and boxing. Everyone of the world, Keith, including Jim Lampley, who, as we record this, it was just revealed, is out of that broadcast, opted out of that broadcast uh, as he was scheduled to call the Holyfield against Belfort fight. It seems like everybody knows that Holyfield shouldn't be involved in this fight, except for the people that are looking to profit off it. That means Triller. That means the Florida Commission. That means the Hard Rock in Florida. Remember, this card was originally scheduled for Cal- to be in California. California, when they made the change to Holyfield, said absolutely not. Under no circumstances is Evander Holyfield getting back in the ring in our state. So what Triller did was effectively went doctor shopping, went commission shopping. They went looking for a state that would allow Holyfield to fight. And here comes Florida, which has no real rules when it comes to this stuff. They're allowing Holyfield to get in the ring. It's human cockfighting, Keith. And if Holyfield gets hurt, and I, we both agree, we hope that doesn't happen. We hope it's just a kind of a goofy sparring match that we see on Saturday night. But if Holyfield gets hurt, these guys should be, in my mind, criminally liable. But any problems Holyfield encounters, that proverbial blood will be on their hands. I wholeheartedly agree, Chris. And, and first and foremost, let's really hope, and if you're the type of person who prays, do that too, that Evander Holyfield does not get hurt on Saturday night because there's a and real- And we should keep, let me just add one, one real thing. Like people have said to me on social media, he's fighting Vitor Belfort. Vitor Belfort never boxed. He's 44 years old. He, he boxed once and he's a UFC guy. Okay, but Vitor Belfort in UFC was known as a heavy-handed type of guy. Mixed martial arts, he was known as a heavy-handed type of guy. More importantly, though, Vitor Belfort is fighting for something. Vitor Belfort, if he beats Evander Holyfield, that will catapult him into another big money fight, presumably against De La Hoya, maybe at some point later this year, next year. It will keep his career going. So Vitor Belfort is coming in motivated to win this fight. Well, maybe he can fight George Foreman if he beats Evander Holyfield. <laughs> um, I, I wouldn't put anything past Triller at this point, so I guess that's maybe not a joke. But nevertheless, I really hope that Holyfield does not get injured. Uh, and, and it's sad in the sense, Chris, that um, Evander Holyfield at 58 going on 59 years old should simply be enjoying being Evander Holyfield. He should be an ambassador for boxing. He should be celebrated for everything that he left in the ring. All of those amazing, unforgettable nights that he gave us in the, in the late 1980s, throughout the 1990s, even into the 2000s, there were some good, memorable Holyfield fights when he was toward the back end of his career. Um, that's where Evander Holyfield should be in his life. Now, unfortunately for him, the reason that he's here to some degree or to a large degree is his own fault because he mismanaged hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's why he is quote unquote fighting on Saturday night. 
Triller is on the hook, as we well know, Chris, to pay him a substantial sum of money because he was supposed to fight Mike Tyson. And now Mike Tyson refuses to do business with Triller. Now, look, I wouldn't advocate seeing Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield fight a third time either because they're entirely too, too old to be fighting. But at least they're in the same age range. Um, and there's obviously an incredible history among them. Um, but I still wouldn't want to see them fight. And as you said, Belfort, while not a boxer, was known as for his heavy hands in UFC. He's 44. He's not 54. So he's a much younger person. He probably still shouldn't be fighting in any capacity either, but he's much younger than Holyfield, who has not fought in 10 years. And Chris, the thing that, I, that is hard to wrap my head around, and this will stop only when people stop paying for it because there are enough people paying for these spectacles that they're going to continue to do them. Now, the Roy Jones, Mike Tyson fight did not quite do the business that they tried to lead us to believe that it did, but it did good enough business where they were encouraged to move forward with several other shit shows that we've seen here. Um, but as long as people are willing to pay for it and there's a market for it, then they're going to continue doing it. So what is the tipping point among consumers that will make them say that, come on, man, that, that's enough now, because it's not only Holyfield and Belfort on Saturday, which is bad enough. You go down the undercard, like David Hayes' career is over. Tony Bellew ended it twice. And why is he fighting Joe Fournier? Why is Joe Fournier fighting at all? I mean, Joe his- Fournier is basically, for people that don't know, like effectively a rich personal trainer is right. kind of what he is. So this is, even at his age and stage of his life and career, this is a 100 to 1, 1,000 to 1 type of mismatch. Yeah, I mean, and it really speaks to Joe Fournier having no business boxing or whatever this is. Um, David Hay will probably beat the crap out of him. I can't see it unless something's wrong with David Hay that we don't know about. Um, I, I couldn't see that being remotely competitive. Uh, but there's even worse on the call. You know, why, why is Tito Ortiz in any, involved in any kind of combat sport at this point? I mean, look at what – I understand. So Okay, so Silva beat uh, Chavez, right? Okay, so You're that's right. like a – okay, all right. For whatever that's worth, I don't – you know, Chavez doesn't train. He's never taken boxing seriously. No. But it, it, look, for if you're Anderson Silva and you're 46 years old and you're not a boxer and you beat him and he's much younger than you, but I, I'm not saying that's not an accomplishment for Anderson Silva, but why, why are two guys who are no longer good at what they were once elite level at doing something that they're not particularly good at, or, or certainly one of them is not good at, to Tito Ortiz? There's no evidence that he's a good boxer. Um, why are they, they're two 46 year old MMA fighters boxing. Who cares? Like, why do people, I, I, that's the thing that I really can't wrap my head around. Like, what is the end game to any of this other than, you know, Triller and some of these guys making some money off of it. And I'm not saying that's, that's a real factor. You know, the, the financial factor of course is big. Um, but beyond that, why would anyone care what happens? I mean, short of someone getting permanently injured which is a real concern why would you care about what happens in the ring other than the Andy Vences Joan O'Carroll fight which is a real fight you know I mean it's not right pay-per-view worthy as a main event or anything but it's a real fight it's they're, they're two real guys I mean it's it's a fight you know and it's the only fight on there that is uh has any authenticity for the most part but I, I don't understand like I said Chris the thing that I have the most trouble 
comprehending is why do people care about this? Like when Evander Holyfield fought for the last time uh, against Brian Nielsen 10 years ago, no one cared. No one cared. No one wanted to watch it for free, let mm-hmm. alone for $50. So why would you then come around 10 years later and have him fight someone who's not a boxer and ask people to pay 50? Who's paying for this? Like who in their right mind is paying for this? I don't know. I don't know who the market is for any of these fights uh, on the card. It, it was almost even worse, Keith. I mean, as of Tuesday, they had a guy named Brandon Lambert on the card. Mm-hmm. And Brandon Lambert was taken off the card on Wednesday because Triller discovered that he was he had a brain aneurysm. And what makes that remarkable, Keith, is that you could have found out Brandon Lambert had a brain aneurysm if you went to his Instagram page, where it says at the top in the bio, 35-year-old survivor of a brain aneurysm. He had I, I, no I, boxing I, matches, and he was scheduled to open the Triller broadcast against somebody else, another guy mm-hmm. that was uh, making his pro debut. I mean, <laughs> like, I, I, do we yeah. not Google these guys? Do we not, like, just... It, it, something I, I, about them i saw when you tweeted that yesterday chris and i was like it doesn't really give you much confidence that the florida commission is doing thorough testing for everyone else i mean i don't know what they've done and what they haven't but i don't i, I can't imagine that we're getting cleveland clinic type of testing here for the, for these guys right and particularly as it pertains to Hollywood. so florida as you know like it's you know getting your boxing license is the equivalent of filling out paperwork basically there's really not a lot if you're over 40 though you're supposed to have a brain scan i have not heard anything about holyfield's brain scan at this point i don't know about you but i've asked and nobody's really given me an answer on that so and maybe a brain look and somebody said to me by the way somebody said a cat scan could be done and that won't really show anything but you know mri might and they're probably not doing that you know on holyfield at this point yeah and to be clear chris i have not heard it either that doesn't mean that it hasn't happened but correct but th- there's cause for concern here, obviously. And then let's not a- a- avoid the 300-pound-plus uh, elephant in the room. Um, they had a competent announcing team for this event before Jim Lampley walked away from it. He's one of whatever people might think of Jim Lampley, one of the best blow-by-blow announcers in the history of the sport. And he was paired with Sean Porter, who's a, who's a very polished, likable, uh, knowledgeable announcer. It was a very good announcing team. So let's make the announcing team more ridiculous than you possibly could imagine by bringing in Donald Trump as an alternate announcer. Look, I've heard enough alternative commentary from Donald Trump over the last six or seven years to last me a lifetime. I don't need him talking about boxing, which he knows even less about than many other things. I don't want to turn this into a political thing, but what it, what's too absurd here? Like Because now... You're going to get people, unfortunately, because Triller has figured out that you you can't do anything too outlandish. People will buy this alternative version of the commentary. I don't even know what that, I don't know how you get the first feed or the second feed or whatever, but but people are going to buy it to hear Trump and his son talk about boxing. Like what? I don't think, yeah. What does Donald Trump or Donald Trump Jr. or any of these people, what do they know about boxing? Like what, like. The, 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 the absurd commentary team and 
poor Al Bernstein. I don't know how he got roped into that exactly, but um, but clearly didn't know what he was signing up for. But now now you're going to, I mean, just when you thought they couldn't have a more absurd team of commentators than they had April 17th in Atlanta, the former president of the United States, who, by the way, on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, this is what a former president is spending his time doing. I mean, that's a little scummy. I don't, more I don't than love it. I don't love it. I don't think people are going to buy it. And generally speaking, Keith, I encourage, I, I don't, I don't say one way or the other, how people should spend their money. Like if you want to watch Jake Paul, by all means, spend your money right, on Jake right. Paul. If you want to see Gervonta Davis in a mismatch, even though I might kill a fight with Davis mm -hmm. and Mario Barrios, by all means, if you're a Gervonta Davis fan, buy it. I hope people don't buy this fight. I hope that they send a message loud and clear that putting a guy who is six plus years away from being a senior citizen into the ring against someone that could conceivably hurt him is bad. So yeah. I encourage people not to support that. Support real boxing all day long. Don't support that. All right, let's talk about Friday. Uh, Oscar Valdez, the 130-pound champion, uh, he is going to face Ropes and Conceição, and he will do it after testing positive for fentermine. This is part of the VADA testing that led up to it. VADA, uh, as they do, you know, provided the results of the positive test. It's A and B samples tested positive uh, for fentermine, which is to kind of boil it down, something that can be used as a weight loss agent, a central nervous agent, something along that. It is performance enhancing when it comes to, to training. Uh, there was a hearing with the local Arizona Commission, the WBC. They claim they investigated. The Arizona Commission is letting the fight go forward. The WBC is letting Valdez keep his title. I'm not sure who I'm more befuddled by like the Arizona commission they're clearly doing it because Valdez will draw a crowd to Arizona it's kind of his adopted hometown and, or the WBC which has touted itself Keith these industry leaders when it comes to drug testing how many times have you read a press release about the WBC's clean boxing program well here you have a guy who tests positive for a banned substance and the WBC not only shrugs its shoulders and says their investigation leads them to believe that the substance is not performance enhancing. And then, and I read this, you know, part of this, the statement on boxing scene, like Mauricio Suleiman, the head of the WBC, basically condescends to all the people out there that are critical of this decision, saying like, you know, it's, it's discouraging to see so many people who don't understand be critical of all this. I, I'm, Quite literally, no one in this entire Valdez fight that looks good. What do you think? Now, before we continue rightfully ripping most people involved here, I think there's a <laughs> distinction that I think we should clarify just for people who might not know about this. There is a legal loophole here that they've exploited in that all state commissions, and in this case, a tribal commission that are affiliated with the Association of Boxing Commissions with which this tribal commission in Arizona is affiliated with, they adhere to WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, as you well know, Chris, uh, th their standards, which allows fentermine uh, 
all the way up until 8.59 p.m. local time the day before an event. So out of competition is, is the way they term it. You're allowed to use fentermine un, until that point. And because all of the state and tribal commissions adhere to WADA code and not VADA code, um, that's how they were legally allowed to exploit this loophole and have the fight move forward. But as it pertains to the WBC, the WBC has hired VADA to do their drug testing, to run and administer their clean boxing program or their supposed clean boxing program. Now, VADA obviously has different rules than WADA or however you want to pronounce it. Um, and they, this is a banned substance in or out of competition. You cannot take it. So he has failed a drug test according to VADA and according to their regulations. So if the WBC is employing VADA to run their, their clean boxing program and he has failed a test and his A and B samples have come back positive for fentermine, how is he being allowed to defend, at the very least, how is he allowed to defend his WBC title against Robson Consecao on Friday night. Make it a non-title fight. I don't care. But 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 for Mauricio Suleiman, who is a, a you know a trained attorney, he knows the law inside and out. For him to say that we don't understand, well, please make us understand. How are we supposed to understand when someone fails a drug test and is allowed to fight anyway, or 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 allowed to at least in this case defend the WBC title? Because you could make the legal argument. I don't like it. And I, and I, morally and ethically, I think what's going on here is wrong, but you could make the legal argument that Oscar Valdez could fight on Friday night, as much as we might hate it. You could make mm -hmm. that legal argument and Pat English and Bob Arum and others clearly have done that. Now, the other thing is um, the stuff about the herbal tea, which was the story that they were initially pitching, and they've now abandoned that story because, first of all, no, no, one, sense. no one believes it, and there's no evidence that this substance is in herbal teas or whatever. Besides that, Oscar Valdez has since been interviewed by our friend Mark Kriegel on ESPN, and I don't think the entire interview ran, but like maybe two minutes of it ran. I thought Mark did a great job at you know asking him the poignant questions. And Oscar Valdez said, I don't know how it got in my system. That is not an acceptable answer. And, and under any circumstances, that is not an acceptable answer. And I've been told Oscar Valdez is a nice kid. He is. But before mm -hmm. this, Oscar Valdez was a prime example of everything that's right about boxing. A Mexican immigrant who fought his way out of poverty one at every level, despite being limited talent-wise and, and from a physical standpoint to some degree. And then he gets into the biggest fight of his career against M Miguel Burchelt and beats the crap out of him, right? And knocks him down three times, viciously knocks him out in the 10th round, a, a huge underdog going into the fight. He's everything. He's what boxing embodies. I mean, Oscar Valdez is a great kid. That has nothing to do with the fact that he tested positive for a banned substance. It, it, it's irrelevant whether he's nice or not. I, you're nice. I'm nice. If we do something stupid and, and it costs, you know, whatever, we break the law or whatever, well, you have to suffer the consequences. Whether you're a nice person or not is irrelevant. You don't get the benefit of the doubt when you pass, when you, when you test positive for a substance like this, because whether it's fair or not, it then casts doubt on everything that you've done before. And now, 
I wrote a story for the website that appeared today, Shakur Stevenson questioned, and I think rightfully, because Shakur Stevenson is someone who risks his life every time he gets into the ring, just like every boxer does. And he said, look, now I kind of look at the, the Burchelt win a little differently. Like, was he on it before? And yeah, you know, look, uh, I'm not saying that's entirely fair, but it's a reasonable um, skeptical opinion to have because there are masking agents and there are ways that you can beat a lot of guys in boxing, you know, their, their suspicion that people are ahead of the tests. And I'm not saying Valdez, I don't know what he puts in his body and what he doesn't. What's indisputable and inarguable is he tested positive for a banned substance according to Vada's guidelines. And that should matter. Apparently it doesn't. Yeah. I have, I have numbered the belief that I don't think Valdez should have to kind of wear this as a scarlet letter for the rest of his career. I do think it's certainly possible, especially for a guy that uh, doesn't have any history of testing positive for banned substances to have accidentally taken something. I will allow for that. That doesn't change, to your point, the consequences of these actions. The consequence should be that you have your fight scuttled and you are suspended for a short period of time, three to six months, similar in a way to what happened to Canelo Alvarez when he tested positive for clenbuterol. The Nevada commission suspended him. He had his May fight scuttled against Golovkin and it was brought back in September. Uh, The WBC should strip him of that title. Maybe you give him a shot to fight for it sometime down the line. But that should be a consequence of what happened. The, you know, the, the commission and the WBC, they're just looking for reasons to keep this fight going and not to take his title from him. And you make a good point. Like, maybe the Arizona commission can hide behind the WADA code. The WBC really can't. This is who they contract. And the system worked. It caught a banned substance in a fighter's body. So for the WBC moving forward, to believe it has any credibility with this program is laughable. Like, I don't, I don't know why anyone should believe that there are consequences for actions. I mean, look, the, the, one of the more amazing things, and people have brought this up on social media, the WBC stripped David Benavides for testing positive for cocaine. I know cocaine is not a performance enhancer anyway. Right. They're going to let Oscar Valdez keep his title after testing positive for something that is you know, widely believed to be a performance enhancer. They have no credibility in my mind. You're right. And, and there's no consequences whatsoever for what's happened here. So I don't, at w- at one point, Chris, I just wanted to let you know this because uh, as it was explained to me before the tribal commission uh, allowed the fight to go forward, um, the way it was explained to me is that if Oscar Valdez was not allowed to fight, that they would have allowed uh, all of the people who purchased tickets and wanted refunds to get refunds and then top rank uh, in a deal that they had with uh, Casino Del Sol or something um, would have then given tickets to the people. So you could have refunded your tickets the way it was explained to me and then got those same tickets for free because they didn't want to have an empty venue. Um, so, so people wouldn't have gotten screwed out of their money uh, had Valdez not fought or maybe even if it was a non-title fight, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. But um, the point is, uh, the, no one comes out of this looking good, Chris, but I think the, the, the uh, organization that comes out of it looking worse is the WBC, as you alluded to, because what is the purpose of doing this drug testing? And when, and when I spoke to Shakur Stevenson the other day, 
Um, you know, Shakur made some very good points, I thought, but then he said, you know, when I fight Valdez and boy, I don't know that that's ever going to happen, by the way, you know, because it's, I don't think top ranks plan, unfortunately for Stevenson is if he beats Jamel Herring and, uh, Oscar Valdez wins tomorrow night to match them next. I don't think that that's going to happen, but anyway, Shakur's point was, he said, look, I'll just make sure that that Vat is on top of him throughout his training camp. Well, they were on top of him throughout yeah. his training camp. He tested positive and they were just saying, yeah, who cares? There's a fight anyway. So, so maybe there's going to be a change made to the way the WBC um, runs its clean boxing program, but, but they come out of this looking, uh, they, they couldn't look worse in my opinion, to, as far as this whole thing goes. And it really speaks to how poorly policed PEDs are in boxing it's the wild, wild west. And, and everyone says, you know, until we have a national commission, let's stop talking about a national commission because it's not happening. So right. how, how can you fix it moving forward when you have people adhering to, to different standards, to different organizations, and then uh, doing different things even, Chris? Because if you remember in your great state of Massachusetts three years ago, Demetrius Andrade was supposed to fight Billy Joe Saunders. And what was the, you know, a good fight up there. It was at the, uh, the, the Boston Celtics arena. It was a fight people wanted to see. It wasn't a pay-per-view fight or anything, but it was a good fight for the zone and, and Billy Joe Saunders and Andrade were, you know, both undefeated at the time and everything. And it's a very similar instance in that Billy Joe Saunders uh, tested positive. He said it came from a nasal spray or something, but it was a very similar thing in that uh, it was allowed uh, in competition, but not out of competition. And although the Massachusetts State Athletic Commission adheres to WADA code, just like this tribal commission does, the Massachusetts State Athletic Commission refused to license Billy Joe Saunders because they said, you signed, you willingly signed up for VADA testing mm-hmm. and you did not adhere to what, you know, what their list of banned substances is. So, so the Massachusetts commission did the right thing and now the Arizona Commission had the opportunity to do this, the, the similar right thing and did the complete opposite. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, can you think of a sport where it's more important to err on the side of caution when it comes to drug testing than boxing? I can't. No, I think it is no, the, yeah, it's, yeah. People, it, look, you hate that, you know, we're not being melodramatic in any way. People's lives, like literally every time you walk up the steps, you don't know with any certainty that you're coming down. You don't know that. I mean, that, that this is a brutal, brutal sport. We, you know, we have an 18-year-old woman dying just within the last week, and, and maybe she wasn't protected the right way, as it turns out. And, you know, it's a, it's a brutal sport, and anything that can be done to make it just a little bit safer because it's inherently dangerous, but anything that can be done to make it safer should be done. And if you're on board with it not being done, shame on you. Yeah, Shakur Stevenson made the point in your story about what happens if, you know, Valdez, if he had not popped then, you know, hit somebody in the back of the head, if he had caused a serious injury or even death to his fighter, and then it was revealed that he was positive for something. I I feel like Keith, that's a question of when, not if, that's going to happen. Like, that's going to happen at some point. Someone's either going to get seriously hurt or killed, and we're going to find out after the fact that the fighter that did the damage was on a banned substance. And then here comes all the mainstream attention that you want on that. Here comes the congressional hearings. Here comes everything else. Box needs to get in front of this. They need to be proactive on this, and they refuse to. Every step of the way, they refuse to. 
Chris, the one, the one thing you and I have discussed this on the podcast before the, the biggest thing or the biggest obstacle to there being real comprehensive drug testing, and not only for the Oscar Valdez's of the world, the Robson, Robson Conceição's of the, you know, the, the people who are fighting in the main events, but everyone down to the, to the, you know, seven and 22 fighter from Arkansas, who's brought in to take a beating for all intents and purposes, those fighters are not drug tested. Look, anyone with any, you know, moral compass would say that the, the, the worst fighter on the card's life is every bit as valuable as the best fighter's card, best fighter's life on the card, or it should be, right? So why is there not comprehensive drug testing done for the four round fights that no one sees uh, and only for the higher level televised fights. And, and, and in some cases, not even those, but um, there should be comprehensive testing, but the biggest obstacle toward that happening is who pays for it because yeah. it's very expensive and the promoter doesn't want to absorb the costs. The television network doesn't want to absorb the cost. The fighters don't want to absorb the costs and, and local governments certainly shouldn't be absor- absorbing the costs because taxpayers, most of whom could not care less about boxing, should not be picking up the tab to make sure that this sport is safe. That baseball pays for its drug testing, right? Football pays for its drug testing. The NBA pays for its drug testing. Boxing has to figure out a way. And whether it's pooling all the money together from the fighters, from the commissions, from uh the sanctioning organizations who, what do they do exactly besides take money? <laughs> Create belts. Maybe right. some of these yeah. belts that have been created over the years, they, you can take they, that money. They, That's they, the other part, by the way, of know? the WBC. Like the WBC says Valdez did nothing wrong, but they basically put him on probation too. So which is it? Like, did he do something wrong or didn't he? Like they, they're trying to straddle the fence on this one. Again, Chris, Oscar Valdez himself, can't tell you whether he did something wrong. He said, I have lit, I'm quoting him. I have no idea how that got in my system. Well, that may very well be true. Let's just give him the benefit of the doubt, although I'm not sure he deserves it, but let's just say, give him the benefit of the doubt. It's your responsibility as a fighter to know everything. And I mean, everything that goes into your system, right? So same, same principle applies to Canelo Alvarez. However, Mm -hmm. That happened, right? However, Clem Buterall got into his system. It's his responsibility. And look, he was suspended for six months and it postponed the Gennady Golovkin rematch. Um, you know, I don't know why, uh, you know, I'm not, not sure that the two things are exactly comparable, but the point is at least Canelo Alvarez faced some consequences, whereas Oscar Valdez has not. Yeah, I agree. Um, last thing on this, what did you make of... Caleb Plant injecting himself, for lack of a better word, into the situation. <laughs> an, and an, injecting is an interesting word. <laughs> it is, yeah. I guess that, you know, after the fact, context, I wonder, um, what did you think of that? Of Caleb Plant kind of tying Canelo into this and effectively saying Eddie Reynoso's gym is dirty? Well, look, um, I'll say this. Eddie Reynoso trains Oscar Valdez and Eddie Reynoso trains Canelo Alvarez, and they both tested positive for banned substances that does not mean necessarily that his entire gym is dirty. And I think people should be careful what you say in in terms of casting aspersions on people, although they're, you know, well within the right to be skeptical because there's evidence of, of multiple fighters testing positive. Um, I give Caleb Plant some credit, you know, he, 
he's saying things that uh, that most people who are watching their bottom lines would not say. Hey, he's already signed his contract, so uh, he can say whatever he wants now, mm -hmm. right? I mean, he's he's they're on the hook to pay him, but pretty much, right? So um, I give him credit. So, look, I think it's incumbent on fighters, uh, particularly the ones who have nothing to hide, which. Caleb Plant certainly would seem to fall in that category. Uh, it's incumbent upon them to speak out. They're the ones who are risking their lives. Like we can't care about it more than them. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. and we care like someone who covers boxing exclusively for a living now. Yeah. I care about the health and safety of the people who are, you know, for lack of better words, beating the crap out of each other for people's entertainment. You, sh you should damn well care about their health and safety. And I know you obviously do and I do, but the fighters have to care in the sense that you can't just say it behind closed doors. And you, and you have to be careful. I mean, because you could get sued by saying the wrong thing or, or, you know, or making accusations that you don't have any evidence for. But, um, but I do give Caleb Plant some credit here because he's, he doesn't care that, Canelo's the A side and all this crap. He doesn't care about any of that. And um, I think he toward the end might've gone a little overboard, <laughs> um, but at least he said something, somebody has got to yep. say something. Right. And I'm, I'm not saying that Canelo Alvarez is dirty or, but, but look, the, the one thing I always say as it relates to Kel Canelo Alvarez, when people say, Oh, he's the best pound for pound fighter in the world. And he might very well be that stains him forever. In my opinion, that doesn't mean that he's dirty thereafter or whatever, but but that is always in the back of my mind as it pertains to Canelo Alvarez's career. Um, whether you think that's fair or not, that's you're entitled to your opinion. Opinions vary. But mm -hmm. Terrence Crawford has never tested positive for PEDs, right? Right, no. Errol, no. Errol Spence hasn't. Uh, Naoya Nue has not. All the guys toward the top of the pound for pound list. So I'm not saying that he doesn't have a great resume and he's not a great fighter. He, he clearly does. And he clearly is, but that stains his legacy. In my opinion, you know, that when, you know, Canelo is going to be seething over that because that, when you get to fight week in November, right. that's what people are going to be talking about. They'd be asking. And uh, we know how Canelo reacted when Gennady Golovkin and his team uh, yeah. went after him over that. That's going to make for a very interesting fight week in Las Vegas in November. A couple things I want to hit you with before I let you go. Um, sitting here in Boston, Keith, uh, microphone in my hand, uh, no microphone ringside because there's no DAZN fight scheduled as of yet for right now. Maybe we get a Mikey Garcia fight at some point in October. I think eventually they'll put Chocolatito and Estrada together uh, for DAZN, Eddie Hearn, but it's been kind of quiet on the DAZN front. They have clearly emphasized what they are doing over in the UK. That's understandable. The UK is a huge boxing market. They want to have a foothold there now that they are the exclusive provider for matchroom shows. But, you know, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. What do you make, Keith, on the outside of how DAZN is operating in the U.S.? Well, I'm glad you're getting some more time off, let's just say, because you, you, you deserve it. Um <laughs> However, if I were a DAZN subscriber, now I am a DAZN subscriber, but Viacom CBS pays for my subscription because it's necessary to do my job and all that. So I don't, it doesn't come out of my pocket, I guess is my point. If it came out of my pocket and I was paying um, the grandfathered monthly rate of $9.99 or certainly $19.99, I, I probably would have canceled at this point because 
there are some good uh, UK fights on there. I mean, fights that are that are interesting. And if you're a real hardcore boxing fan, you would want you know you would have wanted to see the Josh Warrington uh, Lara rematch. Yeah, sure. But that can't be all that you're getting, right? I mean, from a US perspective, you want to see more fights, and they haven't done a lot of fights since uh, since Devin Haney and Jorge Linares, which turned out to be an intriguing fight because Linares heard him in the 10th round and all that stuff. But there hasn't been a whole lot to talk about in terms of a U.S. schedule or hasn't been anything really to talk about in terms of U.S. boxing. Um, and I would say it would be a concern if I were a boxing fan who wanted to invest in, in uh, subscribing to the zone moving forward, um, because as uh, our friend Mike Coppinger reported uh I think it was this morning or yesterday, or uh, but he, he said that he is he has been told that uh, Mikey Garcia is going to fight Sandor Martin, I believe is how mm -hmm. it's pronounced. I don't think we're going to need to. Well, you're going to have to learn how to pronounce it, unfortunately for you. Um, Correct. I don't think we'll need to know how to pronounce it after October 16th. Um, but if that's the best you can do uh, over a four or five month period, you're going to have to do better. Uh, we, people were expecting the third Chocolatito Juan Francisco Estrada fight October 16th. Now, Chocolatito has COVID-19, so it's going to get pushed back into November. That's an excellent fight. Uh, if they're going to remain in business, if the zone is going to remain in business with Devin Haney, hopefully they'll get him into another fight, although he's a free agent, so to speak, and can, while he's overpricing himself in uh, many different fight negotiations up uh, if he comes back i mean he's a good fighter demetrius andrade in there with the right opponent i think people will be interested in seeing but um but if mikey garcia in a tune-up fight is your only u.s fight in four or five months that's just not enough if you're a subscriber i thought over the summer keith golden boy did a pretty nice job of of giving him something right so, so, yeah. sorry let me let me apologize there chris i completely forgot because the, the Jojo Diaz uh, fight right. against Javier, that was a good card. And that, and that was a yeah. good fight. And they put a good replacement opponent in there for Ryan Garcia. So I that that actually was a, a, a good show, unfortunately. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, the, the uh, Virgil Ortiz in there with Cavalos was excellent, Ortiz, I thought. That was another, I mean, Virgil Ortiz, who was, I think, has maybe not the biggest star in boxing, but has the potential to be a really, really top fighter in boxing. I thought that gave him a little bit. Now we get into the fall. And I, look, I think, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on Eddie Hearn to start making big U.S. fights. I mean, he's got a stable of fighters that need to get out. I mean, you mentioned some of them. I mean, Demetrius Andrade has got to get out before the end of the year. I hear from people in Demetrius's team who are asking me if I know what's what's kind of going on uh, with his next fight. You've got, as you said, Devin Haney. Uh, you've got guys that are world championship level guys who've got to get out and got to get out in the right fights. I'm pretty disappointed that we could we didn't get a Mikey Garcia Regis Progray fight put together. I don't know why that that fell apart, but that would have been boxing guys like that. Would every boxing fan out there would have wanted to see Mikey against Regis? You do it in like the Dallas area. You get some of Regis's fans from Louisiana. You get Mikey's fans from you know, he's done well in Texas. Uh, that would have been an excellent fight. But those are the type of fights Eddie Hearn has got to start putting together. Well, the thing is, and Chris, I, I turned 50 last week, so maybe I'm starting to lose my memory a little bit. There I have to start taking some memory enhancers. But but the Virgil Ortiz fight on a night when there were two other cards on ESPN and Showtime was clearly the best fight of the night. A great performance from Virgil Ortiz, knocked out Kavalauskas after getting buzzed earlier in the fight. Uh, so there were two two card, two Golden Boy cards within a, basically a one-month span there, a five-week span that were pretty good. Yeah. Um, but short of that, uh, yeah, you're going uh, to have to – 
it's you're going to have to beef up the schedule, so to speak, right? You're going to have to get some better fights on there. Um, and when is Ryan Garcia going to fight? You know, I mean, good question. Let, let, let's I mean, get him, let's get him back in the ring. And to answer your question, Chris, the, the real reason that Mikey Garcia, and you're probably well aware of all this stuff. I'm sure you are. The reason Mikey Garcia and Regis Progray are not fighting is because they weren't going to be paid the kind of money that they wanted for the fight. As, as it was explained to me, I mean, they were not going to be paid combined what Mikey Garcia made uh, to fight Jesse Vargas back in February of 2020. It was a different world then, you know, pre-pandemic, the zone uh, budget was very different than it is now, and, and, and rightfully so to some extent because they were grossly overpaying guys just to get them to fight on the zone. Mikey Garcia made roughly $7 million to fight Jesse Vargas, which is far, far above market value. And the purses for Regis program, Mikey Garcia combined, were not going to equate to $7 million. And I think now maybe Mikey Garcia has an overinflated opinion of what his market value is. And he's going to, if he was going to fight Regis program, which is a very difficult fight, he was going to want to be paid probably at least what he made to fight Jesse Vargas, even knowing that the market has dramatically changed. Yeah. And I was having this discussion with a promoter last night where we were talking about all the guys that are on the shelf. We're going to fight once, maybe no times in 2021. And it's, it comes down to that Keith, where these guys have been paid so much money for, you know, bad fights, frankly, over the last few years that when you make them an offer for a good fight, it's not commensurate with what they were making before. They're just turning it down. So right. I don't know how this resolves itself because, you know, the budgets have been slashed at virtually every network that's out there. Fighters are either going to have to decide that this is what they want their careers to be once a year, maybe, or take a little bit less money and you know focus on, on making big fights and earning your way up to those paydays again. Yeah. And, and as it pertains to Mikey Garcia, I mean, I understand he needs to get back in the ring because he hasn't fought in a year and a half, basically, yeah. uh, or almost a year and a half. So he wants to get back in there, but I don't know how much they're paying him and Sandor Martin. I, I don't I have no idea. Um, but why waste the money on something like that when you could apply whatever he's being paid for that toward a better fight? You know, maybe then you could pay him closer to what he wants to fight Regis Progray. I'm not saying fighting Regis Progray coming off a year and a half layoff is ideal, uh, but the pandemic affected every boxer and every person on earth in, in, in various ways. I mean, everyone was impacted by it financially and in other ways. So uh, that certainly applies to Mikey Garcia as well. So I, I don't see the point of putting him in there with a guy who he's going to be a hundred to one favorite, maybe more to beat. Um, now, if you're, if you're paying him next to nothing, which I doubt, but if you're paying him next to nothing, well then fine. But, but again, are you, are you giving your subscriber something worth watching on October 16th? There's not other boxing right now because uh, the ESPN card, Emmanuel Navarrete against uh, Joe Gonzalez is now going to be Friday, October 15th. So you'll have the night to yourself, so to speak, in boxing in the U.S. But, um, boy, I hope they, they put something good on the undercard. Man, I love the idea of Mikey against Regis. That is a great style it matchup. It is a meaningful fight. Uh, the winner will take a huge step forward. I hope that smarter heads can get together. Regis seems to really want it. Every time I see him on social media, he's clamoring uh, mm -hmm. for that fight. So hopefully the finances work out. Last thing for you. Um, woke up on was it Thursday morning. And scrolling through Twitter, and I see Tyson Fury and Gillian White, you know, calling each other fat and cokeheads and you know, all sorts of ridiculous things um, at each other. And Fury uh, 
his plan, at least right now, he says, is to beat Deontay Wilder and then move on to a fight against Dillian White before the end of the year. Are you buying any of that? Well, as our, as our dear friend Mike Tyson once said, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And he's going to get punched in the face October 9th. And I, I, I can't emphasize this enough, Chris. Tyson Fury did a number on Deontay Wilder physically, mentally, emotionally, everything in February, 2020, you've got a very motivated driven Deontay Wilder, who is the most pulverizing puncher in boxing is more, it would seem more motivated going into this third fight than Tyson Fury. If I don't know what's true and what isn't, but if any of these rumors about Tyson Fury getting uh, in Deontay Wilder's words, pieced up in mm-hmm. sparring against younger sparring partners, if, if there's validity to that, and he's made a lot of money, and there's the obvious letdown of not fighting Tyson Fury for even more money. If Joshua, all, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sorry, Joshua. I mean, this could be the perfect storm for Deontay Wilder to redeem himself on October 9th. Now, Tyson Fury, you could argue, has his number. He, he, he dominated him, embarrassed him in their rematch. One most, you know, three quarters of the rounds, at least probably in their first fight, but got knocked down twice and it was a draw. Um, but, you know, if, if you look at, at the, uh, what would it be? 18 and a half rounds or whatever it is, you would say that Tyson Fury clearly is the better fighter, but you've got a, again, a very motivated Deontay Wilder. Um, and, and again, all like he says all the time, Chris, he's got to be perfect for two seconds, whereas his opponents pretty much have to be perfect for an entire fight. And that was not the case in, in their rematch, but maybe it would be the case October 9th. So I guess what I'm saying in a very long winded way is that uh, Deontay, while I mean, Tyson Fury should not be looking forward to Dillian White or anyone else uh, before he takes care of business on October 9th. I agree. Um, Wilder always dangerous. I will say some of the videos that Wilder puts out are just weird. Like, just like <laughs> yeah, now, the, you know, now he's like the Loch Ness monster coming out of the well, water and all that. But that, that, and like now, okay. All of a sudden he's going to become like Mike McCallum. He's a body snatcher now. Like he's, I'm looking at these videos of him doing, mm. you know, body work. Like I don't know that he's going to be able to reinvent himself. I don't know that he needs to yeah. because that right hand is still, you know, dangerous at the highest level, but I hope he doesn't come in and try to like reinvent the wheel there. This is not like, you know, Rocky against uh, Mr. T's character uh, for, for the rematch. Like I don't, Clubber Lang. I don't think it's Rocky Clubber Lang rematch there. I don't think you need to see, I don't think we're going to be able to see a different Deontay Wilder. This stage of his career kind of is what he is and what he is, is dangerous with that right hand. Yeah. And I I think that's true of all boxers for the most part, Chris, no matter if you're, 25 or 30 he's, he'll be 36 years old in October a couple of weeks after the fight uh, but I think most boxers are where they are and typically they revert to what they are when things aren't going well in a fight or as the rounds go by they're just more comfortable doing what they've always done so I wouldn't expect to see a dramatically different Deontay Wilder you know and and even Malik Scott said and Deontay Wilder said look he's just kind of bringing out some of the things that I've always been able to do, but abandoned for one reason or another, probably because you're a devastating puncher and you're always overly reliant on that power bailing you out. Just like he did against Luis Ortiz. He's down, you know, 
what I, he lost maybe every round before he knocked out Luis Ortiz in the seventh round of their rematch, you know? Um, so yeah, m- maybe focusing a, because when he throws his jab, he's got a good jab. He's got a good power mm-hmm. jab when he actually uses it. He doesn't use it nearly enough, but he, but he does have a good jab when he, when he utilizes it. So maybe he'll do that more. Listen, whatever he's going to do, it better be a whole lot different than what he did in February, 2020, or it's going to be maybe even a shorter night for him than that was. And of course I would think uh, I'll ask him this, if given the opportunity to speak to him at some point, uh, hopefully during fight, we, I don't know if I'm gonna have to chase him around MGM grand or whatever, but I'm, I, could you just come into the ring with nothing? No theatrics, no, no nonsense. I mean, don't even put, don't even put the towel with the head cut out, you know, with the, you know, like my type, don't even just come in with nothing. So we don't hear any, nothing could impact your performance. (laughs) Don't worry about enter, entertain people when the bell rings, don't worry about coming to the ring and all that. And I, I would hope he learned that invaluable lesson from what happened, you know, before their rematch, I, I would think. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so uh, too. But uh, it'll it'll be interesting to see. You're right about Wilder's jab. He does. You go back and watch the Bermains to Burn fight, the second one, or the first one rather, when he yeah. won the title. Uh, that was an example of his use of that jab. Uh, Keith, always good to talk to you, man. And uh, one of the upshots of not having any big fights coming up is that I don't have to lie to you about like, I'll see you on date X, you know, at, uh, you know, figure <laughs> I mean, Fulton or, you know, these things. I, right? I know, I know, I know you're hopping a flight to Fort Lauderdale tomorrow morning. I know. I'm in. I know I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm ready to see the, the resumption of Evander Holyfield's career. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start the senior circuit tour in boxing. You know, once well, again. Unfortunately for me, I'm doing both of these, uh, shows off of tv on back-to-back nights i don't have to leave the house which is a which is a nice change of pace but uh but yeah hopefully next time we talk chris we'll be talking about real fights and uh being less pessimistic about the um future of our sport absolutely check keep stuff out over at boxingscene.com does a terrific job covering the sport over there follow him on twitter at idec boxing catch you next time Keith. thanks chris have a good one man when we come back my conversation with ken burns All right, the NFL is back, and FanDuel Sportsbook is celebrating with 40-to-1 odds on any Week 1 game. I mean, who doesn't want to win $200 on a $5 bet? This is no Hail Mary. It's just that simple. New customers get 40-to-1 odds when you place your first wager on any team to win. FanDuel is sports betting made simple. The app is so easy to use. Plus, when you win, you'll get paid in as little as 24 hours. Week one for me, all about my New England Patriots. Mac Jones, the Mac Jones era begins. I like the Patriots over the Dolphins in week one. Offers like this are just one of the many reasons I love betting the NFL on FanDuel. It is the number one rated sportsbook app in America. It's easy to use. It's safe and secure, and it has those fast payouts. See for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're always hooking you up with exclusive odds boosts, great promotions, and so much more. Just sign up with the promo code BOXING, and you could win $200 on a $5 bet. That's promo code BOXING, exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 plus and present in Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Virginia, or West Virginia. 
New users only. $10 first deposit required. Must wager in designated offer market. Max bonus $200. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Restrictions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, New Jersey, or Virginia. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. This is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. we got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball. We do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, hey, <laughs> hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but... All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. Though. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. All right, Ken Burns is one of the greatest documentarians of this time. He has created notable films like The Civil War and The Vietnam War. Sports fans might remember his 1994 documentary, Baseball. His latest project, Muhammad Ali, a four-part documentary that will air on PBS from September 19th to the 22nd. And Ken is kind enough to join me here on the show. So, Ken, I have to ask the question that I have no doubt you have gotten the most during over the last few weeks, which is why, despite there being so much out there about Muhammad Ali, did you elect to do such a deep dive on this figure? 
Well, first of all, I'm going to be saying we a lot, and it's not out of some pretension, but this is co-directed by Sarah Burns, my oldest daughter, and her husband, David McMahon, and we've been collaborating on things, including a film on Jackie Robinson and, and the Central Park Five. There are many, many uh, documentaries about Muhammad Ali, and there are some really extraordinary ones. What we wanted to do was a deep dive, something that would take us seven or eight years to, to work on, to go from birth and childhood in Jim Crow, segregated Louisville, Kentucky, all the way up to death by Parkinson's, and focus on the boxing, to be sure, that's the central narrative, but also on his religious faith and evolving religious faith, not just the superficial, his interaction with all of the major issues and themes of the late 20th century uh, sports, the role of sports in society, the role of the black athlete, the redefinition of black manhood, faith, Islam, religion, politics, war, you know, tell me something that he didn't intersect with and that isn't relevant to us today. You've got one of the most larger than life figures of any American of all times. I just, I mean, he's a stunning, stunning figure in, in our history and in world history. When he died after this incredibly divisive parts of his life, he died the most beloved person on his planet, which ain't bad, Chris. I mean, I'm surprised we hadn't done him before. Uh, and I'm really glad that we waited. And it's not to say anything against those other films. They did what they're supposed to do. And we tried to do what we wanted to do. We left our own baggage and our memory of those films years ago and just began to do a deep dive to find the nuances in all of those aspects and to also interconnect them. So in the end, it's a story about freedom, three things, the story about freedom, it's a story, I mean, this is a black man trying to achieve freedom in the United States, not an easy task. And it's about courage. And it's also about a four letter word that the FCC allows you and me to say, but we never wanna talk about it and that's love. So as part of my day job, can I, I'm a writer over at Sports Illustrated, so I kind of understand the, you know, tackling a story that's been done many times over is, is incredibly challenging because you are trying to find nuances that, that haven't been talked about before. You are trying to unearth new things that haven't been discussed before. How did you approach that, trying to... Well, we never, we never saw it as trying to. We never saw it as difficult in that way. The challenging is always to tell a good story. And we're going to obviously tell stories like the rumble in the jungle that's been told before, but we're going to do it in our own way. And we're not going to be looking in the rearview mirror at, at how it was done before. We're going to leave that. I make a conscious decision every anytime I work on a film, never to look at another film about that subject until I'm, I'm done with it. Because I don't want to be not just, you know... It, it, captured by what they did right or what they did wrong. Just, I want to forget that. I want to start for the blank slate and our way, and we work with PBS that permits us that deep dive is, is to do a deep dive and, and add nuance and shadings to stuff that people think they already know and are covered in others. And obviously we don't spend as much time as on the rumble in the jungle as a wonderful when we were Kings, but it's, I think there's new stuff in it that makes it uh, interesting to everybody. It's not to do it for the sake of, of being new or to adding something. It's just knowing that our process is comprehensive enough is that we want to have that deep dive. And what's been so satisfying, we just premiered at the Telluride Film People Festival. People just could not believe it. And even advisors and consultants and academics have said, wow, I learned some stuff. And the family is calling up and saying, where did you get that picture? I never saw my daddy holding me as a baby or whatever it might be. And so we go, yeah, you know, we did our job and we went through, you know, we got eight hours. That's a lot, mm. but we had hundreds of hours of footage.
hundreds of hours of footage and hundreds of hours of interviews and thousands and thousands of photographs that we had to distill. And our cutting room floor isn't filled with bad stuff. It's filled with really good stuff. You look at it and go, boy, man, wait, you left that out? And I go, yeah, you should have seen the two months it was in and how it destabilized that and made it difficult to do this. And, you know, it's, it's a great process. And we just spend all of our attention focused on that. And we know when we finish it, it'll also resonate with today. There's so, when you finish the documentary, you, you go, oh my God, there's no one more relevant or contemporary than Muhammad Ali. He's been dead five years, but his spirit, his inspirational life, his, his flaws, as well as his strengths will live on. What's an example of that? You said nuance or shading to something people already know. Can you kind of give me an example of, sure. of something you don't? Yeah, uh, one, of my, one of my favorite moments in the film is, is a... Um, a moment when the Supreme Court exonerates him and releases him from his five-year prison sentence. Even the prosecution had asked for less and the judge threw the book at him, gave him the maximum he could. It was just pure vengeance. It was a black man with an act of faith. So it's the mid sixties. So it's a black man. So it's politics. Anyway, he's, he's finally, after losing three and a half years of the peak of his career is released and he's got a chance to be Ali, right? He can dance. He can recite a poem. He can say, I told you so he can do all the stuff that he does all the time. I'm pretty as a girl, you know, all that stuff. And he doesn't, the reporter shows a mic in his face and says, what do you think about the system? And he goes, well, I don't know who's gonna be assassinated tonight. I don't know who's gonna be denied justice or equality tonight. I mean, he's looking back on 350 years of the mistreatment of black people on this continent. And he's thinking, you know, obviously about Emmett Till, a kid not that much older than him, who's tortured, mutilated his body. His mother had the courage to have an open casket for, and, and that deeply affects the young Cassius Clay. And um, he's ranging ahead to names that he doesn't know. Right, uh, Rodney King, Trayvon Martin, uh, Tamir Rice, a 12-year-old kid with a toy gun, dead, uh, Breonna Taylor, and of course, George Floyd. And, and unfortunately, that list is minuscule. I, I could go on and on and on with the names, and he seems to encompass that. So here's a moment when you'd expect the traditional Ali to be boasting, because that's that period, and he's not. He's He's reflective and you realize as his daughter Rashida says boxing was just this much that he knew from an early age and he says that I've, I know I'm here for a purpose and he's not talking about boxing he's talking about being this messenger for a bigger thing and you know his his tombstone says um, service to others is the price you pay for your room in heaven mm. it, it's wonderful if that's true, then he's got the biggest suite you've ever seen. You have called, uh, I've read you call Ali a prophet of love and used that word love yeah. before. What do you mean by that? Well, I, I, I think, as I said before, it's difficult to discuss that. In, in a way, I think all of our films at the end kind of reduce to the idea of love. That's the universal quotient of how things work. But I think we spend most of our lives as deeply flawed and tempted human beings forgetting that that's what it's about. You know, we all have religions or if we don't, we, uh, we cling to something and we rarely live up to our beliefs, whatever they might be. Um, Ali, you know, was a flawed human being. He's unfaithful to his wives. He says horrible things about his opponents, particularly uh, Joe Frazier, the scholar Todd Boyd says, you know, this is the language that a white racist would use about a black man. And here is supposed to be the most conscious black man using that about Joe Frazier. I mean, it's, it's just intolerable. And other opponents too. And of course he abandons Malcolm X, a, a teacher and a friend, a mentor. And so um, there's some tough, stuff to swallow, which I think we do a good job of presenting. 
But I think at the end, you realize, oh my God, this is all about that. You can see it in his daughter, Rashida, who carries a lot of that energy in it too. And seems to be, she calls him daddy. And when she says it, I'm, I'm about ready to, to cry because you realize that she has this abundance of love and she understands that he had this mission, which was to spread this message. And in fact, you know, during the 60s and 70s, when Muhammad Ali would have a press conference, the whole sports world stopped. But, you know, later in his life, when he couldn't even speak because of the ravages of Parkinson, if he visited Pakistan or Malaysia or Saudi Arabia, the whole country stopped. Mm. And it's because there was something universal. I think at first it was about, about identifying with the oppressed of the world. And then he's, his message is also to how to transform that into something positive. And so it isn't just a dialectic of rich and poor, it's the, the transcendent message, which is of course love, which is so hard to talk about and so hard to, to do and to live. And Muhammad Ali is there, not as a perfect you know, example, there's nothing perfect about anyone ever. It's just that he, um, brings the, the question up to the fore. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about it to the end of the earth because <laughs> it's something that nobody wants to talk about. In fact, I live in rural New Hampshire. I've got a lawn sign and it says love multiplies. I mean, I just can't think of a better, you know, I had it made up. It's like my political sign, right? It's not vote for him, not that person, vote for that person, not that person. It's love multiplies. And, you know, a couple of people stop by and they say, wow, that's great. Where'd you get it? I said, I got another one here, you know, and there it's on their lawn, wherever that is. And, you know, I'd, I'd love that to be something that spreads. Did, uh, did you go into this project a fan of boxing? No, no, I made two films. I made, I've, de I've dedicated, um, what's it, what, a 12 hours of my professional life on film to boxing. I'm not a big boxing fan. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in people who transcend a sport. So I made a two-part, four-hour film on Jack Johnson mm -hmm. that came out in 2005. And he's the first African-American heavyweight champion. And he's very similar to Ali in style and purpose. And Ali was really influenced by him. The last scene of Jack Johnson is about how a young Ali training, somebody would yell ghost in the house, meaning Jack Johnson. And that story shows up again, told in another way in this documentary. They're connected. And yet Johnson was for himself. He did whatever he felt like. And uh, Ali was for everybody else. And that's the, all the difference in the world and makes him... That, that profit of love. You probably watched, uh, I don't know how many Ali fights you watched in the process of, of making this, but as you, as you go through all that film, uh, any of those fights stick in your mind? Oh yeah. I mean, there are tons. They're the, you know, the ones that are little known that Michael Bent kept pointing. He, our secret weapon is we embedded Michael Bent, the former heavyweight <laughs> champion, yep. into every one of our boxing scenes. And he not, he's, it's for those of us who aren't really into boxing, but our, our interest, he'd give you the strategy and the tactics, but also the psychology and the blow to blow and the round to round stuff and what their hearts are like. And, and it's all so very, very interesting. But, you know, and we tried it, we do about 20, 25 of the fights, you know, significantly, but obviously the first listing is great just because of the drama of the liniment that gets on the glove at the listing corner. So Ali's blind against one of the greatest and most formidable sluggers of all time for a round and a half. I mean, the fact that he's still alive surprises me. And the fact that he won is one of the great, you can't make this up in Hollywood stories. Mm -hmm. And then of course, I think the uh, first Frazier is just an amazing fight, which he loses, as you know. And I think obviously the one of the great masterpieces of all time is is uh, the Rumble in the Jungle, the, the George Foreman fight in 74, where people in his corner, nobody thought he was gonna win. No one thought he was gonna win. And um, 
people in his corner were worried that he was going to be killed. And uh, it's the other way around. He just demolished um, George Foreman with, with guile and intellect and strategy. And it's just, it's a beautiful masterpiece. But in some ways, I think it's the third Frasier because it is just so mano mano it's just as jerry eisenberg said you know we've got three guys that were cub reporters following them uh jerry eisenberg dave kindred and and robert lipsight they're all masters they're old men now and and they just they loved him they loved him they were angry at him they didn't want him to fight too long when he was extending his career they just felt for him and you know that eisenberg was quoting the column he wrote at the time i didn't look it up but he just said you know they weren't fighting for the wba they weren't fighting for the wbc they weren't fighting for the championship of the world they were two boxers on an ice flow battling for the championship of each other and each one the other was ahab's white whale you know and you just go you remembered that you know 50 years later you get to you get to to tell it again in that way and it, it's true there's you know ali himself said it was the closest to death he'd ever been mm -hmm. and it's just it's one of the stunning it's sad it's it's like a it's like a um it's like an opera you know, I, I don't I, I don't know. I don't have words to describe aspects of Ali's life except to resort to the greatest art of all, which is music. You know, and it's the as Wynton Marcellus told us, it's the art of the invisible. You know, it's the only art form you can't see. It's 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 just it gets to you so quickly. And, and there's something musical about this story of Muhammad Ali. That uh, that line does sound like a Jerry Eisenberg column. It sounds just it like, doesn't it? Just doesn't it? Or a Shirley Povich. <laughs> if it was baseball, it might be a Shirley Povich column. It's just, I don't know what it is about you sports writers that get to, you know, pull out your purple prose and, and, and do it, but you get away with it so beautifully. And it sounds like poetry to the rest of us. Hey, nothing like a good Moby Dick reference to, to make a column sing. No <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, the documentary airs on PBS from September 19th to the 22nd. Ken, I'm looking forward to seeing it from start to finish. And uh, thanks for joining me here on the show. It's my pleasure, Chris. I can't wait for you to see it. Let me know what you think. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Keith Idek and Ken Burns for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And next week, maybe we'll be joined by Sergio Mora, if we can track him down. Mannix, I'm a man on the run, and I'm not doing your fucking podcast. We're not doing it, bro. I'm a man on the run. On the run! I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.